Welcome to the American Mutso Show. My next guest, Chris Skye. Have you heard of him? Probably one of the most powerful patriot voices in the world, really. All these pockets of patriots all over the world, they have him come and speak from Canada. Um, some of his videos I've been sharing uh, since day one. First one I saw about vaccines that he was predicting, I'm like, there's no way that's going to happen. Turns out he was right. Now he's talking about smart cities. He's talking about this global agenda that's coming in with our carbon footprint. It's going to be one of the best interviews that you've heard. He's getting ready for to run for political office up in Toronto. And the deep state, the powers that be, are really afraid. So please share this video, whether you're in the United States of America, Australia, or Canada. Please share this video. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Skye. But before we get going, let me read you at least just one review from our sponsor, Freedom Blends, from Becky Martin. I've been taking Eric's Freedom Fuel DC Trim and Kami Cleanse for the last couple of weeks. I'm almost 58 years old and I have all the energy I need. Sleep well at night and wake up rested and ready to go. I've noticed my food cravings are way less and I feel great in general. Give it a try. You have nothing to lose. Thank you, Becky. So if you go to freedomblends.com, scroll down to the bundle pack of Freedom Fuel. That will last one person two months. It's all of your fruits and vegetables in a capsule with probiotics. One of them has energy. One of them doesn't. It is a game changer. Freedomblends.com. Chris Sky, um, I'm not, dude, I'm not kidding you. Last week I saw like so many of your videos, um, maybe two or three, like boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, I have got to get this guy on. I don't know how I'm going to get this guy on. Cause I had messaged you through Instagram, but you know how Instagram is. Instagram is iffy. Cause they block, they, they, I'm on my 26th Instagram account. Let's just put it that way. That's why I give out my number because it's the only thing they can't delete. And so then, so then I get this message from some dude. He's like, Hey, I got Chris guy's phone number. And so then now I'm on the phone and here you are. So thank you, bro. Tell tell the audience where you're at. Uh, currently, oh, I was in Toronto on the weekend, and I just got back to uh, Edmonton right now. I'm going to be in Calgary next week. I'm going to be in Vancouver the week after that. And then I'm going to be back in Toronto again. So as you can see, we are on the move, not just here, around the world. In the last couple of months, uh, I was lucky enough to speak in England, Ireland, uh, Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, France, even Mexico. So uh, it's been pretty crazy. And it's because people are aware that COVID was not just a phase. It was more of a transitionary period. Mm -hmm. And now the people that were already aware about COVID being more about government control and power than it was about public safety or your health are just as concerned, if not even more concerned, about the fact that now they're trying to do all the same types of restrictions and even more restrictions on your liberties, but under the guise of climate change and under the guise of saving the planet. So we're basically trying to get people to catch up to the reality of what's going on because mm -hmm. everybody's really slow to figure things out. It took two people, some people three years to take a mask off, for instance. But you know, the reality of the situation- We call it the uh, awaken to- <clears throat> awaken to our awful situation it's the secret combinations that these guys have been doing for so long it's now finally boom they've now revealed themselves 
Exactly. So it's a double-edged sword. Yes, you're going to get bombarded with a whole bunch of their agendas, but at the same time, they've never woken up more people all at the same time uh, all around the world at once. So we have to use that to our advantage. And that's why I've been speaking out around the world. And that's why I carry a very positive message. Uh, and that message is just say no and united noncompliance. And that's how it all filtered into not having to run to, for mayor against what I would normally believe or want to do. But what people need to understand is that COVID was about two things. Reach, first of all, it was about training us and reprogramming us, but in two very, very fundamental ways for society. The first and foremost being the notion that rights and freedoms are paramount to a successful society. And if you look back through history, it's so paramount to a successful society. Millions of people fought and died in world wars and empire-type wars over thousands and thousands of years to preserve rights and freedoms. But all of a sudden, thanks to COVID and thanks to a public health emergency, rights and freedoms were now selfish and dangerous. That's and right. people like, yeah, exactly. And people like me that advocated for them are even terrorists. I shared, one, I shared one of your videos. Do you, I don't know if you remember this video that went viral. You're standing on the street. You've got one of your gym shirts on. And these guys basically just put the put the mic in your face and you don't need a mask the mask is about compliance because they know canadians like to do what they're told so if they tell you you have to wear a mask next they're going to tell you you have to contact trace then they're going to tell you you have to take the vaccine and because canadians like to do what they're told they're hoping that everyone just complies and then guess what kids once you take your vaccine like a dumb person that doesn't know any better they're going to tell you sorry the vaccine isn't as effective as we thought it was going to be so now you still got to wear your mask still got to get contact trace still have all the restrictions and social distancing and still take your vaccine and then what did you get out of all of this you got a whole year where you weren't allowed to travel your business was closed they took your rights and freedoms they forced the vaccine on you and what happened that was September 2020. I just got back from Ireland. I had just spoken Ireland to like tens of thousands of people and told them that they were going to get locked down September 20th, 2020, and that the UN was going to unveil a five level of lockdown on them. Uh, a lot of people thought it was crazy. And I stayed in Ireland until the 20th when they did get locked down. And when I tried to fly out that morning, uh, I found out via the airlines that an intelligence agency had put electronic blocks on my passport, which was preventing me from flying out, but it was illegal. So the airline had to overturn the blocks and I did get to fly back into Canada. And then the very next week I had a protest in Canada at Dundas Square in Toronto, Ontario. And the day before the protest, the police showed up at my house and threatened me that if I went to the protest, I was going to get charged and I was going to get arrested. And I was like, good, I hope so, for, because for I want but, but for, uh, for breaching quarantine because I was supposed to be on quarantine and they knew I was planning on going to the protest. And they knew I was going to have a big effect if I went to the protest and defied their quarantine. So they came to my house the day before to threaten me. So I told them straight up, I'm going to be there tomorrow. So you do what you got to do. And I want to get charged because I want to challenge these notions in court because I believe they're illegal or unconstitutional and they're not going to be able to uh, pass the merits of law. They left. The next day I went to the protest. Uh, they tried to grab me just before I got to Dundas Square. We started recording them. I said, are you guys going to arrest me? And they said, no, we're not going to arrest you. I said, well, good. Then I got some speaking to do. So please get out of my way. I love so they you. got out of my way. I did my speech. Uh, a lot of people were there. And then all of a sudden, the mainstream media showed up. And the mainstream media never covers the protests, especially when there's tens of thousands of people there because it's, they make it look legitimate and not a fringe minority. But in this case, the media showed up. So as soon as CBC was there, I thought something was up. And sure enough, they came to take my picture and video of me right as the police came to give me a fine, the first ever COVID fine that was given out. 
And right after I got that fine is when I made that video. And as you can see on that video, when I'm talking, I'm holding like a yellow piece of paper in one hand. That's the COVID fine. And that's what prompted me to tell everybody what the hell was going to happen in September 2020. I told them that it's going to be a perpetual cycle of lockdowns that you're not going to get out of. They're going to let you get off of lockdown for a few months in the summer to bring you back in the winter. They're going to tell you the mask didn't work. They're going to tell you the vaccine works. So you're going to have to keep wearing the mask and keep uh, taking the jabs. And people thought it was nuts until all of a sudden they were told they have to keep wearing masks even after they got jabbed. And then they were told they had to take a second jab and a third jab and a fourth jab. And then all of a sudden it wasn't so crazy. So back to what I was saying. So COVID was to do two things. The first thing was to train us that our rights and freedoms are now selfish and dangerous. And the second thing was to get rid of the notion of individual responsibility and replace it with collective responsibility straight out of Marxism and communism. And what do I mean by that? Perfect example. You need to wear the mask to protect me and to protect grandma and to protect the other people. So why do they want us to believe that rights and freedoms were no longer uh, important and why do they want us to embrace collective responsibility because the next phase of their agenda which they call agenda 2030 or whatever else you want to call it from the world economic forum the united nations and all these world bodies is to entrench the same type of covid style lockdowns on us indefinitely under the guise of climate change so now they've developed an entire new level and i call it layers of tyranny they have the 15 minute cities combined with what they're going to call Personal carbon allowances, write that one down, guys, personal carbon allowances. And eventually that's going to be combined with the digital identity and a digital currency and a universal basic income at that point, because people are going to be so broke, they're not going to be able to afford anything. Well, I saw so, that video. I saw the video you did where you were showing the screen and you were showing like, hey, and if you eat this, this is what it's your carbon. So it's reducing it by what's the percentage, like 80 or something? Way more than that. So to break it down, first of all, the, they, we have to start with the 15-minute city because this is where they're going to create the prison grid around you where you're basically – remember when they told you in COVID you have to stay five kilometers away from your house because you're on mm -hmm. lockdown. You can't go more than 5K from your house. They did that virtually all over the world. Well, under the 15-minute city doctrine – you're virtually never going to go more than five kilometers away from your house because a 15 minute city by definition has everything you need within a 15 minute walk or bike ride. But isn't that so good? Oh yes. It's fantastic. If you don't want to own a car, you don't want to live in a house and you, and you want to have restrictions on your everyday movement, but that's just the physical aspect. So if people want to know what a 15 minute city looks like, I was in England. I went to Oxford, uh, Oxford, England was one of the first examples where they put it into play they divided it into six, what they call districts. And Edmonton has just done the same thing in Canada and a lot of other Canadian cities are doing the same thing. And your district is basically 1.5 kilometers in all directions. So basically five square kilometers. And in Oxford, England, they already have barriers and actual bollards and barricades between the districts. They already have traffic cameras that can monitor the traffic going in and out of the districts and will automatically fine you because you're only allowed to leave your district on certain days at certain times unless you get special permission from the government. And now combine that with doing things to drastically reduce vehicle traffic. And I've been in planning and development for 20 plus years. That's my profession. Chris Sky, Sky is Sky Homes Corporation. And I've been working in planning and development in the private sector, but having to deal with the government since I was 19 years old. So I understand planning blueprints. I understand traffic studies. I understand all the implications of all the new stipulations they're putting in. 
So under these 15-minute city doctrine, their number one goal is to reduce private vehicle traffic and private vehicle ownership because the entire purpose of the 15-minute city is to reduce the average person's carbon footprint. And the number one thing that we have that creates our carbon footprint is our cars. So the way to reduce the carbon footprint the most is by reducing the number of privately owned vehicles. So how are they doing that? Now that they got you in these little districts where everything's within walking distance and you have actual barricades keeping you, well, now they start replacing car lanes with bike and pedestrian lanes. They start replacing uh, uh, parking lots with parks. New developments, instead of having minimum amounts of parking, now have maximum amounts of parking. They declare entire areas, low traffic neighborhoods where you can't drive. And for the places where you can drive, they call them ultra low emissions vehicle roads. So you can only drive on them with electric cars or if you're a police officer, Uber or government vehicle, which is all they really want on the roads. They want you on a bike or a scooter or walking while the police are driving, the government's driving and everyone, all the important people, essential people, if you will, are driving. So those are the physical barricades and how they're going to and how they've actually already done it. But now how are they going to do it financially and psychologically? Because everyone's like, oh, I'll just get in my car and drive on that road and leave my district. Blah, 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 blah. I'll pay the fine. Well, you're not going to be able to afford to because under the Paris climate agreements that Canada, U.S. and virtually all of Europe and many other countries have signed on. If we don't reduce our so-called carbon footprint by 2030 universally around the world, we're all going to die of climate change. <laughs> and how much do they want to reduce our carbon footprint? Oh well, first, I can tell you that. In North America, they say the average person uses over 20 tons of carbon or 20,000 kilograms of carbon per year. And we're going to get into how much that actually is in a second. But let's just look at the uh, what they want to do to us. So they say 20 tons is ridiculous. The only way we're all going to be able to survive is if the average person on planet Earth reduces their annual carbon footprint to two tons or 2,000 kilograms. And everyone in North America uses 20 plus. Why? Because we all have cars. We all drive. So they want to get rid of our cars, number one, and then they want to stop us from doing things like flying. They want to stop us from doing things like eating meat. So how are they going to do that? Simple. They have now started applying a second form of currency to every single thing you buy or do, and it's called a carbon. And that's why they started saying how much you're allowed to have per year. So how much is 2,000 kilograms or two tons of carbon in actuality in human existence? Well, if I want to fly from Toronto to Amsterdam, say, that's Netherlands, it's about seven hours each way. So you're looking at 14 hours of my life flying there and back. If you go on Expedia, Google Flights, or any of those things, you'll see the, the price. It'll be like $1,100 Canadian. It'll say seven hours to get there. And then it'll show you something that says 500 kilograms of carbon. That's how much carbon they're saying your flight is going to cost. And right now, they're just tracking it. They're not actually charging you for it. They're just tracking it. But they already charge companies for it. They already charge you a carbon tax. So, you know, the next step of tracking it is charging you for it and limiting you so they can charge you when you go over. And this so, is the same thing that they're doing to, to states with this ESG credit. Exactly. Score. But now they're doing it to individuals for every single transaction and choice you make in your life. But and look at that. So if I decide to fly from here to Amsterdam and back under their under their Paris Accord and my two ton limit, I've just used 25 percent. 500 kilograms is 25 percent. 
of my annual allowance in 14 hours of living, I've taken up six months worth of my so-called, or not six months, three months worth of my so-called carbon allowance. This is so unbelievably satanic. And, and they want to apply that to everything. Like I said, if you go in the grocery store, you're going to see a carbon rating on the food you buy. If in the in the vegan section, a thing of kale will say something like 0.2 kilograms of carbon. You go to eat a steak, it's going to say 50 to 100 kilograms of carbon. So you're not going to be able to eat steak. They're going to want you eating bugs or fake meat or, or veggies. If you want to drive, you're definitely not going to be able to own a car because it's going to be way too expensive. The fuel tax is going to be way too much. So you're going to have to use Uber, Zipcar. So you're going to own nothing and rent everything. Okay, so really, so really that, quick. How how do these people really believe in their... number? Or two questions. Does this actually happen? Because meaning, I, I feel like we're on such a trajectory right now that we are... There's no possible way that their pie in the sky plan is going to happen before we go into like a massive third world war um what do you think about that and then and then the second thing is um how do they get people corralled into that 15 minute city is it just going to be top echelon type people or um no the 15 minute cities are ghettos the 15-minute city is the new age ghetto. It's going to be a prison for the small people. The idea of a third world war, they're salivating at that. They're hoping that we all go friggin' ape shit and start, and start rioting and burning everything down because war is where they get the most control and where they can convince the most amount of people to kill each other while all the people in power don't get touched. They're in their ivory towers where we're all dying on the streets. So they would love a third world war. And that's the kind of thing we have to avoid at all costs. And that's what they're trying to provoke with Ukraine and Russia and trying to do everything they can to expand that war and extend that war and even try to bring Ukraine into NATO so they can justify. Right. So my question expansion. is, do you what do you think is going to happen first, in your opinion? What do I think is going to happen first? Well, thanks to people like me, you and all the people speaking the truth. The, all we need to do is get the truth to the people, because right now. They're not hiding their intentions. They're telling you, oh, yeah, the 15-minute city is coming. But it's so great. It's going to be convenient. It's going to be equitable, sustainable. You're going to love it, especially in Canada when five months out of the year there's snow on the ground and you're going to have moms having to walk home from the grocery store carrying a full friggin' shopping cart full of groceries for their family. They're all going to love it. You they're going to try to bugs. sell it to you like that. <laughs> the personal carbon allowance, they're going to try to convince you is your duty. So they already have companies like MasterCard, World Economic Forum partner, by the way, promoting their new climate credit card, which gives you a carbon allowance and it gives you a carbon rating on every single transaction. Did you buy leather jacket instead of a, a fabric jacket? That's a high climate rating. You start. You got to start watching every choice you make. And then as soon as you start allowing them to track your carbon, there's what they're going to start limiting it. And we know how much they're going to charge you for an extra ton of carbon because Trudeau already told us by 2030, for every extra ton of carbon, you go over your so-called allowance, it'll be $170. So the average person uses an extra 20 tons of carbon a year. That means they're going to be paying an extra $3,400 a year, just an extra so-called carbon taxes. And then if you have a family, multiply that by four, you're almost at $20,000 a year, just an extra carbon taxes, not including all the other extra costs of living that are going to go up by then. So this is a way to control you physically, spiritually, financially, geographically, psychologically. And then finally, when they get you on the digital currency and a universal basic income, because you're so poor, you can't even feed your family. So you give up your biometric identity, your iris, your fingerprint, your voice. 
And now you give up your bodily autonomy because you need that universal basic income and you have to use that digital identity. Now they can tell you, you have to be mandatorily vaccinated and not just for COVID, for flu, for RSV, for Marburg, for any friggin' vaccine they want to come up with. So they can make gazillions of dollars and get even, get you even more sick and even more. Okay, weak. So to the listener, do you understand how hell is literally being built right in front of our eyes like people are getting prepared for hell all these people that are godless in our society that don't believe in god that don't believe god's a real thing that don't believe that there's commandments they are getting prepared for the greatest world religion that that, that humanity has ever seen this is a religion um would you would you agree with that this is its own religion of course it is. It's the religion of, of worshiping the planet, worshiping Mother Earth. It supersedes every other human want and need. Look at the progression. Before, individuals had rights and freedoms, and that was paramount to society. Thanks to COVID, individual rights and freedoms were now selfish and dangerous, because, but only temporarily and only for the safety of all the people around you. Now, thanks to climate change, Individual rights and freedoms are selfish and dangerous forever, and human beings are the new cancer on the planet that need to be tracked, traced, controlled, and monitored from cradle to grave, or we're all going to die. Can you, it's funny how that works. Can you, can you kind of tell people um, how you feel like you've been prepared spiritually? We talked on the phone for a minute, because I really like to talk about the spiritual aspect, but when I look at guys like you, Chris, like... Um, I know that God's working through you. I know it. Um, I, I don't know how to tell people, people that are like, you know, judgmental. You got tats all over your neck. That's Archangel Michael on my neck. So everyone says, oh, why does he got on his neck? Archangel Michael, who's supposed to be the, the leader of God's army and the supreme protector of mankind. Gee, what a horrible thing to have. <laughs> I'm just saying, I know the truth. The, the, you're speaking the truth. And I'm just... Tell me when you found your mission, like when you knew that you were walking into your mission. Well, it's because of my wife, to be honest. Uh, we were on vacation. We travel a lot. We love traveling. Uh, we were on vacation for her birthday. Her birthday is February 27th. It's actually coming up next week. Don't worry. I got a lot of plans. Not, I'm not in trouble <laughs> this time. But yeah, we went to Italy and we were supposed to go celebrate Carnival in Venice. And on the 27th, her actual birthday was the last day of Carnival, the biggest, baddest day. It was, and something that's been going on for hundreds of years. And it's been on her bucket list since she's a little girl. So we were excited and we landed in Venice. The day we landed in Venice was the day that they declared Venice the epicenter of the viral pandemic for COVID in Europe. And that was uh, February 27, 2020. So they shut down Carnival for the first time in the history of uh, Italy. And they started playing all this crazy propaganda all over the TVs that everyone was dropping dead. And in reality, it was completely fine on the ground. My wife was shopping. I was at the gym. We were eating dinner, having a good time, like enjoying our vacation. But people are calling us every five minutes asking us if people are dying in the streets. Like It was ridiculous. And then we got wind that they were planning on locking down Venice. So we left Venice, went to Florence. From Florence, we ended up in Netherlands, and from Netherlands, we ended up in uh, France. So we got to see how all the all these European countries started handling the beginning of the pandemic. And we left uh, we left Paris. I think it was March second. We got back to Toronto right as they started locking down all of Europe. So we were already ahead of the game. We were in a unique position to warn others. I've already was privy to the new world order and all this uh, their plans and things like that beforehand. I just had no idea they were going to use COVID and no idea they were going to unleash it now, but it all started to make sense to me at that point. 
So we got back to Toronto and we started warning everybody uh, that they were going to lock us down. And everyone thought we were crazy. And then we got locked down March 12th or March 16th, I believe it was. Sorry. And as soon as that happened, uh, my wife showed me an online flyer for a protest. And I'm not politically active. I've never voted in my life. I hate politicians and I despise politics in general because I know it's fake and it's a dog and pony show uh, and they're all controlled. And, 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 and so to me, I, I, I was just never, never even interested in that at all. Uh, and, but I thought, OK, this is actually something worth talking about. So we went to the protest. It was at Queen's Park. And it was a ragtag, completely disheveled, completely disorganized group. And the mainstream media showed up and it made sense because they could make us look like a fringe minority because that's what we were at that point. And they started filming people with green hair and weird signs and all this weird stuff. So I got pissed off and I grabbed the camera and I put it on me and I just ranted for like 30 seconds. because I was pissed and everybody just stopped what they were doing and looked like, holy crap, like this guy's good. And then this old lady walked over to me with a megaphone and she's like, I think you should speak. And I was looked at her. I, I no so freaking way. I'm not speaking. I don't want to be targeted by the government, the media, have my business shut down, get arrested, all the rest. Of, I like listed everything that I knew was going to happen to me. Like I already knew the future. And then, of course, my wife was standing right there and she looked at me and said, you know, yeah, you know what's going on and you have the ability to warn people and help people. So if you don't, everything bad that happens is going to be your fault. So this what do you say so to that? Good. This is so good. This so so Chris guy is born on a whole nother level. And so I like the reason why I want to get that out of you, Chris, is because people right now, I, I'm trying to show people that they are so much more powerful than they think. They That's think that's what I've been trying to tell people for three years. And so that's that. So, yes, it you got you have to open your mouth, you have to be the conduit of light. God's trying to speak all of this because the fact my belief, well, it's in the book of Corinthians, is where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, the foundation of heaven, literally, the foundation of the kingdom of God is it's liberty. Freedom. Yeah, that's where it's at. And so, if we don't, if we don't do that, how can we possibly build anything that's good in this society? And it just takes a little bit of light. Um, okay. Let's talk about your mayor because um, you're running for mayor. I am. Um, and just to let me give people a tiny bit of background, uh, I've been speaking out about this for over three, like three years now. And uh, I've been arrested 25 times. I faced over 60 charges, some extremely serious charges, all completely politically motivated and all designed to try to silence me or limit my mobility uh, I currently am still unable to drive. They confiscated my driver's license, my uh, gun license, all my firearms. I'm banned from flying on most Canadian airlines under an illegal government no-fly list that officially doesn't exist. But when asked by the airlines uh, and responded by their lawyers, 75% of the lawyers' documents, more, probably around 85%, was heavily redacted by the RCMP under the guise of national security. So that's how worried they are about me simply going around and telling people the truth. That's who I am. And I also have this unique ability where my name Sky comes from Sky Homes Corporation. So I've been in residential development and planning, designing and building for over 20 years, more than half my life. So if anybody understands the implications of 15-minute cities, how to understand their blueprints, their traffic studies, and understand where they plan on taking this and why, it's me. 
And if anyone's in a position to challenge them on it, it's me, number one. So let's talk about our mayor. We had Mayor John Tory. I uh, never even thought about running for mayor. Where is never this, even and where is this at? This is Toronto, Toronto, Ontario. And I never thought about it. He was mayor already twice in a row. So trying to uh, unseat an incumbent mayor, especially in Toronto, where people are, are prone to doing the same thing over and over and over again. It never even occurred to me. The thought didn't cross my mind. So it was kind of like fate that brought me to this because it's, I guess it's kind of the natural progression because I believe I've been acting as a people's representative already unofficially for the last three years as a voice and both hand of action, which is what these politicians are supposed to be, but obviously aren't. Uh, so what happened was John Tory was caught in some scandal, obviously with a woman like every other politician, and he was forced to resign, apparently. And before I even knew this was happening, I started getting phone calls. My phone was blowing up saying, are you running for mayor? So running for mayor? For what? Mayor of what? They're like, Toronto. I go, excuse me? They go, well, John Tory just had to resign. Uh, and apparently you're trending on Twitter and Google as the next mayor of Toronto. Yeah. So I thought, what the hell? Let me check. And it was true. So I made a joke asking if people wanted me to run for mayor. And I got overwhelming response. And then at that point, uh, I found out that John Tory was resigning and I had to go to Toronto for court February 18th. And consequently, they booked me to headline the worldwide rally February 18th. So fate would have it that two days before I'm flying to Toronto, John Tory says he's resigning for mayor. And then he officially was resigning the day before I was speaking to a massive crowd of thousands of people in downtown Toronto. But the kicker for me to run was when I went to go visit a family in uh, Toronto uh, whose father called me before I was coming down and his little girl is sick and she was in the hospital. And I went to go visit her in the hospital to bring her a birthday present because her birthday happened to be on the 16th of February when I was in Toronto. And we gave her a bunch of gifts and we hung out with her and her family for a few hours. And then before I left, I asked her, I said, so what was your favorite gift? And she said, you guys coming here was the best gift I ever got. And before I could even respond to that, she looked at me and she said, are you really going to run for mayor? My daddy says you're going to run for mayor. Sorry. I get I get emotional because she was uh, in really rough shape mental health wise. And she was bedridden, couldn't even eat solid foods. And it was not because of COVID, ladies and gentlemen, because of government policies, which I promised that I would try to do everything in my power to protect people from. So when I saw what happened to her, that was the kicker where I said I was going to run for mayor. So then I announced it the next day and I started making preparations to do so. And I'm only doing it because if you look at the demographics of Toronto, I don't know how familiar your audience is with Canada or Toronto in general. The actual city of Toronto itself is about two and a half million people, but the greater Toronto area, which encompasses that is almost 10 million. And we only have 37 million people in Canada. So we're talking about almost 25% of the population directly affected by this. And Toronto is one of the wealthiest and most powerful cities in North America. And it's literally seen as the crown jewel in the World Economic Forum and United Nations agenda. Uh, and they're attacking it in ways that you couldn't imagine. 75% of all our so-called immigration is going into Toronto because they all vote liberal because they're given free how, stuff. How are you going to How are you going to beat the the fraud? Because you know that this happens everywhere around the world. 
it's easy to beat the fraud. It's a lot easier to to steal a federal election where there's electoral colleges and seats that need to be won and little tiny ridings that can be manipulated. And the, the elections are obviously are, are often much closer. So if you're in an election where you need to sway at 10, 15 points, yeah, of course. But in these municipal elections, for instance, in the last municipal election, John Tory got almost 70% of the vote. Okay. And that was 70% of the vote, and only 24% of eligible voters came out to vote. Less than one quarter voter participation, dismal numbers. And that's because people are like me. They don't vote. The number one voting demographic is the non-voter because they never feel like any of the choices represent their interests. But I'm different, and people know that. So not only will I get the people that normally vote for the other politicians, I'm going to bring out people in droves that have never voted before in their life. And I can prove it because Real Toronto News, Six Buzz, all those things on social media talk about me every day. And when my wife and I went to Yorkdale Shopping Centre in in Toronto, we couldn't even walk 10 steps without groups of kids like 18 to 20 years old, all ethnicities coming up, asking for photos, saying they can't wait to vote for me. And I got that kind of support across all spectrums. And so... There's really people come with the, the detractors come and say, how do you think you're going to be able to win from air? And the question I ask them is, who the hell do they have that can beat me? Answer, nobody knows. Nobody can say a name of any single person they believe can beat me, even in a rigged election. And if I can get 60, 70 percent of the vote like a John Tory did, uh, and which is highly possible in my mind, and we can increase voter participation significantly, which in my mind, and I'm going to predict it now. I'm going to predict we get a voter participation rate of over 40% in this municipal election. And I believe I'm going to get a vast majority of that for, of those votes. So I believe that with that, those two things combined, it'll be impossible even for them to steal the election. The, the, the next thought that comes to my mind is that we need to, anyone who's listening to this, so number one, please share this video. Uh, number two, please pray for protection for Chris Sky, his wife, and his campaign, because all hell is coming at them Ugh. on both sides of the veil. So please, not just like, oh, that's a nice thing to do. Like actually kneel down to God and pray for protection for this man because he's going to need it big time. That's what that's all I can think about. How can we help you in the states? I don't even know how it works with fundraising, but is there a way that we can help you from the states? Thankfully, because I'm not an official candidate for mayor and because I'm always on tour, because I'm always researching, uh, I can be sponsored and funded by anybody anywhere in the world in any way possible. I can be funded by check, cash, money order, e-transfer, wire transfer. It's until I actually throw my hat in for mayor. At that point, when I'm running a specific mayoral campaign, uh, I can take $50,000 of my own money. And put it in my in my own mayoral campaign fund, and that's about how much money I'm allowed to use specifically for that campaign. But as we all know, there's a plethora of expenses and living expenses in general uh, that go okay, along so with running a campaign. So, so how do is there a link? Like, tell us how. Yes. Oh, sorry, be. sorry. So uh, we created an email, Chris Sky for Change at mail.com. not Gmail. Everyone writes Gmail and, and tries to email me and gets it wrong. Chris Sky for change. It's our it's our slogan for the pre-campaign. Is the four a number four or letter? No, it's the uh, letters F O R. Okay. Chris Sky for change at mail.com. 
Anyone in Canada can send an e-transfer there. People in the United States or abroad can send a message there requesting wire transfer information, crypto wallet information, or an address where they can send a check. So there's ways that anybody can, anyone can support. And because it's not the campaign, it's allowed. Once I start my official campaign and I officially put my hat in for mayor, I am only allowed to take donations from people in the Toronto area, which includes Toronto, Scarborough, Mississauga, Etobicoke, North York. There's limits on the donations up to $2,500 per person. Uh, but there, like I said, in, a, in an election, there's so many things that you need to spend money on that have nothing to do with the election and yeah. something just to do with even. So if you're from you're Canada, if you're from, or if you know somebody in those areas in Canada, get this video to them because this is the type of, this is, this is one of the, all, I'm not saying you're the, God is the answer, but when you have somebody that's standing on proper principles, like Liberty, like individual, uh, freedoms and liberties, like your God given rights that's how we win and like, limiting the power of those in power is my number one priority because gotcha. they've been out of control and we should all be completely accountable to the people and that's why my number is public you can google chris guy's cell number and it comes up that's how your friend got it and it's 416-400-9994 and that'll be available to people even after i'm elected because everybody should have a direct contact to me not my not a voicemail, which I don't have, not an assistant, which I don't have, not an office, which I will have, but it won't go to the office. You'll get to me. So that's what I believe is will, will actually help people unite. And to be honest, uh, as soon as I announced this, I've never seen more unity amongst the freedom movement. And I don't believe I'm ever going to see more unity amongst the people in general, because everybody can know that I'm ready to fight for them. Even the people that hate me, even the people that are four jabs in and wore two masks and were terrified of COVID and absolutely despise me, hate my voice, hate my look, hate my hair. If you ask those same people, but what do you think about Chris Sky fighting for you? All of a sudden, their mindset changes real quick. Because they even they know, I'm honest, I'm trustworthy, I wouldn't screw them over. And I'll fight harder for them than anybody else will. Let's finish with, um, if there was a, well, two things. First, let's finish with the mass non-compliance. Can you just speak a little bit about that? And then I'll ask 100%. you percent. So I started two movements. The first one is individual. It's just say no. I kind of stole it from, uh, <laughs> I stole it from the drug anti-drug movement. And I did that for a reason because they spent so much time, money and propaganda programming that into our mind. I knew if I used it, it would resonate on a subconscious and conscious level with everybody. So I used their own yeah, mind tricks against them, but I still use them against you people too. So I guess I should apologize for that, <laughs> but it works like a charm because it's never the wrong thing to say no. Is you're only saying no to something that someone's trying to do to you. So they can't make you the aggressor. So it's a perfect defense on an individual level. However, on an individual level, there's consequences sometimes for just saying no, especially if you're not wearing a mask and didn't want to take a jab. But if you can get enough people together to just say no, if you can unite enough people in non-compliance, all of a sudden you have a global movement that can nullify any government uh, anywhere without violence, without any type of pushback, everybody just coming together and simply just saying no. And we actually broke United Noncompliance down into three separate phases because that's that's how that's how that's how intricate it is. And the first phase, you have to wake the people up. How do you do that? You have to get them 
through to their head that all of this is not about health, not about safety, not about everything that's good for you. It's about power and control for the government. As soon as people realize that, all the fear and confusion-based propaganda is nullified. And now these people understand that everything that's being done to them is so they can be controlled. These people are now awake. The second part is to get these people to take action. So phase two of United Noncompliance is taking action. And everybody can take action. You might not be able to tour the world like me and, and, talk to, and talk like me and reach billions of people. But guess what? Everybody can talk. Everybody has a skill. When I was in the UK in London, I worked with a group called United Artists for Freedom. They had speakers. They had poets. They had songwriters. They had performers. They had comedians. Everybody had a different medium. Words are our weapon. And everybody can wake up a different segment of the population. My words might fall flat on this whole group of people. And then your poem might resonate with them. So the whole purpose is everyone has to realize that the individual has power. Every single one of you, varying degrees of power, but power. However, that power is only activated not only when you are awake and aware, but you have to be in a positive state of mind. And that is why they bombard you with negativity from all angles and try to overwhelm you. Because if you can feel isolated, hopeless, overwhelmed, despair, even if you're awake, you will not fight back and you will not ally with others who are fighting back. A negative and a positive simply won't go together. In fact, you will not even be open to the message. If you're in that negative state of mind and I come up and I say something like, men need to step up their game. The ones in the negative state of mind are like, this guy's such an asshole. He's attacking me, blah, blah, blah. And it's, they're just going to put it aside and not do anything. If they're in a positive state of mind, they're going to be like, this guy's right. I can do more. And I'm not alone. And he's with me. And now all of a sudden, boom, they're ready to go unite with others. And that's why part of uh, the second part is not just being aware, but remaining positive. And you do that by simply, first of all, turning off TV, listening to people like us, number two, having faith. Having faith is huge. Do I believe I'm doing God's work? A thousand friggin' percent. And that is why I'm not afraid. They arrested me 25 times. They charged me with 60 things. They bashed me in the media. They have people come after me physically. Do I look scared? Do I look deterred? Do I look like anything but smiling, happy, and ready for anything they've got for me? Why? Because I know who's on my side. So when I got that, I'm good. And that's all you need to feel like. When you know you're doing the right thing, you know you're going to be protected. Everybody was coerced into doing the easy thing, the thing that everybody told them to do. Yeah, and then they said they didn't have a choice. That was the biggest lie in the last three years. Everybody had a choice. You chose to wear that mask because you didn't want it, the consequences. You chose to take that jab for whatever reason, your job, your travel. I know people that had a career where they were making six figures for over 20 years, had a mortgage with three kids and a wife to look after, and when their job said take the jab or take a hike, they took a hike. Because they chose their dignity and they, they trusted in themselves and they trusted in God. And guess what? I don't know one single person who regrets not taking the jab, no matter what it cost them. But you know what I do see? A lot of people that took the jab that wish they had a lot. And that's why we can bring those people back into the fold now. Because number one, they never wanted it in the first place. 
Number two, not only do they not trust the government anymore, they resent the government. So they already have a negative aspect. And number three, now when you tell them about 15-minute cities, personal carbon allowance, digital ID, they're going to start to understand that this was never about their health and say this was all about controlling and, 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 and limiting them. And nobody wants that. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you want you call yourself. Everybody wants to have the freedom of choice to choose what they want to eat, see go where they want to go, etc. That's the basic tenet of human freedom. So now we have this new platform where it's not just a freedom movement and they can't just call us anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers. This is against the entire globalist agenda. And because they're attacking the whole world in unison, we can make the whole world unite in unison. And then and that's what's what number doing. and then what's number three? So wake people up, take action. Number three. This is my favorite one. Holding them accountable. That's phase three, my friend. And that's why you need people like me to get in positions of power so I can make things like mandates illegal. I can make countries uh, or make companies rehire the people that they falsely fired, have to give them back pay. I can make sure that these people never go through that again. And then we can make sure that the people that made these decisions under the auspice of our health and safety are held accountable in the that's court right. of law and beyond. And that way it will never happen again. That's so good. Gosh, that's so good. Okay, final message. I do this all the time with my guests. Final message of hope. If you had anything to say to humanity before they hauled you off and quartered you into all parts of Canada, what do you say? Everything that they're doing to you can only be done if you allow it. They're not forcing. They're going to make you feel guilty for the carbon allowance. They're going to tell you these 15-minute cities are fantastic so you don't try to stop them when they're doing it. So everything they're doing to you is only what you allow. And as long as there's people like me and there's other people that will fight, the inevitable is that they're going to lose. The only question is how much pain and suffering us and our children are going to have to go through before that happens. And that's what my mission is, to limit that pain and suffering as much as possible. And if you want to do that, you're going to have to learn how to just say no, and you're going to have to dig deep and do it for the love of your friends, your family, your country, and the future generations. Because what they have planned for them is not what you have planned for them. Okay, so again, Chris Sky, C-H-R-I-S-S-K-Y-F-O-R, change at mail.com. Chris Sky, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. God bless you all. <laughs>